Hey guys, and welcome back to the Cinema Slayers podcast. It is I, the bearded one, the one with an EQ'd voice tonight, since our special guest decided to make fun of my voice and saying it was really tinny earlier. We have a very special episode for you guys tonight. We are doing a re-record because unfortunately we did lose some audio. We're going to try to keep it uh, new for you guys though. But if you do have notice any inconsistencies or something like that, unfortunately, it is because we might be remembering stuff from another podcast that we recorded that you guys couldn't hear. And we'll try to keep that to a minimum. But as always, I am joined by the wrestler, yes, sir, himself, Justin. Center fans, I'm back. Your resident professional wrestler. And when I'm not kicking people in the face in the middle of Dallas somewhere, I'm sitting back, relaxing and watching some movies. How's everybody doing? And we are also joined by the resident young version of Jamie Lee Curtis, Heather. That's right, everybody. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. We also have the candy bar in human form, Devin. Thank you for making the choice to listen to the man with a caramel voice. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to get creepy inside. And like I said earlier, we do have a very special guest with us tonight. Um, she is a little mean, though. She was making fun of my voice earlier and talking about how tinny it sounded. And it made me very sad, so I have EQ'd the fuck out of my voice tonight just to avoid that. And just so I can maybe sleep tonight, not curled up into the fetal position and crying all night. We have our resident Cinema Slayers therapist, Katie Annalise. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Side note, I never said Sterling had a tenny voice. And I'm taking a drink of whiskey every time he says tenny. So thanks for listening and thanks for having me. And like I said, guys, we are doing a special episode. We are talking about the 2018 reboot slash sequel Halloween. We are going to talk about our likes, dislikes, and everything in between with it. So sit back and relax and listen to our fun little conversation. But before we do anything else, we have to play our game. It is kind of a little spinoff of the Rick's questions from The Walking Dead. We have three questions for you, Katie. Starting with, what are your top three movies and TV shows? Mm, okay, top three movies of all time, Matrix, I like the original one, 1999, um, and Fight Club, and also kind of a newer one thrown into the mix is Call Me By Your Name. Um, those three movies are definitely at the top of my, like, impacted me radar. Um, the top three shows, The Office is number one, always in my blood. It is my personality. Arrested Development might be my second choice. And then I think my third is... So definitely BoJack Horseman. And I just wish I could throw Bob's Burgers in there, too. Um, yeah, favorite, those are my favorite shows. Nice. So, like, you finally, you, you answered the questions and you started off by breaking the rules and saying fourth. Sorry. Oh, man. Is it a tie? Can I do third tie, BoJack and Bob? That works. If you had to pick one and one only, you could only watch one of those two forever for the rest of it. Nothing like you couldn't watch the other one if you pick one. Which one are you choosing? BoJack. We'll see. There you go. Okay. Got your answer. Yep. I need my existential crisis show in and amongst the office. <laughs> Love me some dark darkness that BoJack gives me. And like we did talk about before the podcast with Heather, you and me are, we're, we're going to record uh, you and me doing some office trivia at some point. Absolutely. You and me, we're going to battle it and I'm going to win just because it's what I do. Okay. I just signed up for office trivia on November 19th in Dallas. So we'll see. Nice. <laughs> second question what is your biggest guilty pleasure <laughs> tv or movies it wouldn't be tv 
it would be movie. And what first comes to mind is the movie White Chicks uh, with the Wayne's brothers. I don't know. I just, I mean, can you beat the the cringiness of it? And it's so terrible. But I mean, if it's on, I'm going to watch it. And I'm like reciting it. It is the base of so many inside jokes. Um, yeah, that's my... I genuinely want to see you watching that movie. Just like sitting <laughs> in the background watching you watch that would be hilarious. Yeah, like, I'm not going to watch. I'm just watching her face. <laughs> no, How much she's enjoying this terrible movie. Oh my God, it's awful. And I love it so much. I mean, that is a... Ver- that is a very bold choice because, I mean, that is probably the definition of what, would, you know, we're looking for with these guilty pleasures. I mean, it's an objectively terrible fucking movie. Oh, I can see but that. But for whatever reason, you like it. Yeah, just, I mean, like when it came out, it just, I knew it was bad then, even though I was younger and it still was just so funny to me. So, so with that, with our third question, like why, like why is that your biggest guilty pleasure? I think because it's so terrible. Um yeah, if it weren't that, it'd be like Sharknado, where I'm like, no, I'm aware of how bad it is. I just really enjoy myself like while I'm watching it. Um, yeah, I think it's just the nostalgia of watching it and knowing, God, there were so many jokes, there were so many songs that now, if I hear it playing, like, It's Tricky by Run DMC. If I hear that song, I'm like, uh, this is when they're in the club and they're dancing <laughs> and they're having a dance off. And it's it's like, it like takes me back and it is the basis of like, yeah. So that's why. <laughs> yeah. That, that it really is funny that you and me have two different like memories when it comes to that song, because for me, it's the PS2 video game SSX tricky, which was a snowboarding game. Hmm. And uh. yeah, that song is played throughout it because this ver the version that it's not technically the sequel. It's like technically 1.5 was called tricky because they added a new trick mechanic to it. So <laughs> no, I always think of the Wayne's brothers dancing. So I don't know. And I have a cat on my mixer and he's blocking all my stuff. What are you doing, fat boy? So cute. I just, yeah, I'm letting my cat roam free tonight. The asshole is out. Nice. (laughs) So we will, we will now jump into it. We will jump into 2018's Halloween and we're going to start it off with you, Katie. What did you like about this movie? Um, so I mean, right off the front, I went into the theater by myself, um, and sat down. So when the, lights went down and the movie started during the opening credits i know the first thing i noticed was like the font and the music and the pumpkin like everything was the same like of the old movies and i freaking i just loved that it got me like super pumped and giddy and excited um and i was just so thankful i was like oh they're sticking to the classic they're not trying to do like this big opening sequence and like cgi or anything i'm like nope they're just sticking to the original like black and orange and the original music and i was like i just love that um because again it's just that nostalgic feeling and i was like good for you guys um definitely loved all the strong you know female empowerment stuff that was going on um with that though this is not so female empowerment thing to say but jamie lee looks phenomenal for her like not even for her age just at all like anyway agreed for sure (laughs) all the time yeah i was like um okay i need to go to the gym or something um i want to be best friends with her honestly she's great i know she looks uh, she's just yeah she seems amazing um so but one thing i super respected from this movie which is a word i don't get to use very often with horror movies is the word respect um 
but it did rep mental health, I think, more than other horror movies that I've seen, especially slasher films. Um, usually with slasher films, you're seeing just gratuitous gore or gratuitous sexuality, um, nudity, things like that. And I really liked that we got to see some of the PTSD symptoms that Laurie Strode would have actually had if she were a real human being. So, I mean, I'm seeing her have like this sense of impending doom and like just this sense of dread and something terrible coming. Um, she's obviously struggling with her relationship with her family and they are not understanding what's going on with her. Um, there is this very general sense of like, hey, it's been 40 years. You need to get over it. Um, and I do work with a lot of PTSD clients and I'm thinking like, as I was watching that movie, I was like, this is what I hear from parents and relatives and boyfriends and girlfriends and other people in relation to the person who's suffering from PTSD. Just this kind of like, I know it's really hard for them, but like, it's been 10 years. When are they going to get over it? Um, so I don't know. I just loved seeing at least some representation um, of what Lori Strode would actually be going through. Um, so she is going through those struggling relationships. Um, she has that hypervigilance of like being overprepared and which turns out to be a great thing. And, but that's the reality of PTSD. Um, also like that. Um, the, and this is not of the current Halloween movie, but like the past one, we saw some alcohol abuse, like when she was in uh, Lori and like the Halloween H2O movie. Um, so again, all of that, I was like, okay, that rang true uh, and authentic to me, like from having worked with PTSD clients before being like, okay, that is kind of what someone would look like. Um, so yeah, I also kind of liked, again, like I said, no gratuitous sexuality, which I don't think is a popular opinion <laughs> with a lot of the males. Um, mm, mm, yeah, I kinda, like boobs. boobies. Oh, I appreciated <laughs> that they didn't lean too heavily on that because you see all the slasher films of like back in the day. So like the original Halloween, it's so, like, you know, back in uh, 1978, I think it was when it first came out. And then, you know, stuff like Friday the 13th, even it's like you have to see boobs. You have to see teenagers like having sex. And this movie didn't lean too heavily on that. It's like, cool, there's relationships and uh romances and little crushes but like we didn't have to like watch it too long they just got back to the story which i was like okay again good for you guys because you could have leaned too heavily on that and been like hey everyone this is why it's rated r let's push this on you um not that i don't love some good sexual content but um yeah i just thought it was like pretty true um as the as coming straight off of that uh 1978 version and not including all the other ones um yeah, no supernatural elements and like, yeah, they just didn't lean too heavily, I think, on like anything. Um, and person, this is very personal and self-serving, but I kept noticing Judith Myers, her headstone, um, her birthday is on November 10th, which is my birthday. So I was like, hey, uh -oh. <laughs> ominous. So, yeah. So Katie, I, got a I love what's up. Would you still say Lori Stroh was mentally ill? Um, even though uh, everything that she predicted happened. Yes. Um, I think because, and my answer to that, like for mental illness to be a real thing, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, it doesn't have to be rooted in something that's not true. So her having just the symptoms of PTSD 
um, is what makes PTSD an illness. It's not so much like you're predicting something's going to happen. And then if it doesn't come true, you don't have that illness. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, it, it, it does. does make sense. But I guess my question was more or less um, was more or less. Uh, of course, there's been tra- trauma to her. And of course, she's going through PTSD and probably a lot of other things. Um, but I guess my perception of it is um, I remember. Uh, well, I mean, everybody remembers this uh, with the Joker and Dark Knight. And he says, I'm not mm-hmm. sane. I'm just ahead of the curve. And so did her did her PTSD or her trauma actually help her survive um, uh, is 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 the way that she lived a kind of a way she coped with it. I mean, because I don't know if there's a better way to. No, because that speaks to that hypervigilance where it's like she designed her entire house to be ready for this moment. And everyone else is looking at her being like, this is over. He's not coming for you. You're crazy. So you're absolutely right, Devin. Like she, she did do the right thing. Um, she was ahead of the curve. Um, but yeah, I think just the, the part of it that makes it um, like such a strong mental illness is that that overtook her life for 40 years and she couldn't connect with people and she couldn't um, do a lot of the simple things that we take for granted. So yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, I'm just saying it's hard to have a husband when you got to build a trap fire door bomb house. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of time. You know, I got things to do. I mean, you know, you got to be kind of wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Because it's just too much to explain. Hey, hey, I just noticed that you had, you know, you were setting up a bomb in your house. And I was just wondering, uh, should I be worried? You're like, well, my brother, he stabbed my sister to death when he was like seven. Then like 18 years, like 15 years later, he came back and he killed like six people. And I just know it's going to come back again. (laughs) And so I'm just making my house this murder maze for when he does come back. So (laughs) that way I can kill him and I can make sure he's dead. So it's no big deal. I mean, if you want to help, that's cool. Oh, that would be a great episode of House Hunters, the Laurie Strode house. (laughs) Like if Michael Myers... Michael Myers yes. never came. That would Michael be Myers never came. He never escaped. He just died in the asylum. And then like she died, so they have to sell the house. And they're like, and look at all these amazing security features that the house have. Like, one thing I do wonder about Lori Strauss house is why did she decide, you know what? I'm going to make the creepiest room in my house. I'm going to have a house just full of mannequins. Just one room. Just nothing but mannequins. I'm really scared of my... Right. uh my serial killer psychotic brother coming to kill me. So better make sure I have that mannequin room to retreat into. I mean, those were all her targets for her target practice. Yeah, but, so. but I, I've shot guns before and I never was like, you know what? Uh, I, need I, a, need a I, I need a room, I need a room <laughs> dedicated to my targets. Nonetheless, I wasn't like, I need a bunch <laughs> of mannequins. One that's really not cost effective. I really want to know mannequins are expensive. So they're like 200 bucks a pop. And she's just shooting them. I mean, she could have got the same results. And then, like, Michael Myers is way over the height of an average mannequin. So, you know, I'm just saying. What is his actual... I don't even know what his actual height is. Was he known as, like, a big guy? 6'3 to 6'5. No problem. I mean, that's a big dude. I don't know for sure. How tall is Michael Myers? I love technology. Back, You know what? 20 years ago, I would have asked that question. And just been stuck. But now I just pick up my phone. 
But yeah, no, you act like you're absolutely right in that. And I think that's why it is so hard for people like struggling with a mental illness to have and an, not at all that I'm saying it's impossible or um, even sometimes takes extra work. But like sometimes it is hard to have those extra relationships with people because they're not going to understand. So even as much as like a little bit of anxiety, like I treat teenagers with that and they have to run out of their classrooms. And it's like, is it, do I have time to explain this or am I even in the mindset to explain this? So it does kind of explain why she kind of was the way she was and why her daughter reacted to her. I think the way that she did. So I found that, I found that it kind of rang true to where I was like, yeah, I've seen this happen in families Mm. where it's just like, I don't get you. I don't understand it. You need to get over it. I still love you, but oh my God, like how long are we going to talk about this? Or like, how long are you going to be affected? So um, yeah, those were, those were my big points that I took away from it. And I was like, okay, I see you. That's good. So just let you guys know, Michael Myers' height has changed many times throughout the franchise. (laughs) Uh, So he's anywhere from six foot three to six foot eight, because he was in the 2010 version of Halloween. Uh, Taylor Maine played him and Taylor Maine is six eight. That's also uh, Sabretooth um, in the first couple of X-Men. So uh, Michael Myers has been one big motherfucker. Uh, Wait, 2010. <laughs> who was that? The Buster Rhymes one? No, no, yeah. that's the Rob Zombie. Oh, one. Gotcha, gotcha. That's the Rob Zombie one. So, oh, right. Yeah, so okay. he's he's been big as hell. Uh, I don't, yeah, not hiding in any bushes at all. That dude has to go to California and hide behind redwoods to not be seen. It's <laughs> a big guy. Okay, that's it. Devin, keep going. What did you like? Okay, well. Mm, there are a lot of things that I like, but I want to talk about just some some numbers for you guys. So I like the fact that this movie is crushing it in the box office right now. Um, 172 million. Uh, normally, I never start off like that, but uh, we got to understand that this is a female led horror movie uh, resurrecting an, an all but dead franchise when it comes right down to it. Uh, this movie had so much going against it. Um, and to see what it was able actually able to pull off, not only as a piece of art and uh, a horror movie and a slasher film, but also um, what it was able to pull off in the box office just makes me happy. Um, while I will admit the horror genre can become quite stale and derivative, um, it is still one of my favorite genres. And I really do get excited when a good horror movie um, comes out and I want to see it. Um, I do enjoy, I guess not getting scared because I haven't been scared watching movie in a long time, but I do enjoy just a well-paced, well-executed, uh, well-scripted horror film. And I think this is all of those things. So um, I had to uh, depart for a few minutes, so I'll probably just repeat some of the things that Katie said. But um, a, a few things that I really love is I like the symbolism in this film. Um, to me, um, every character, every main character and every main supporting character represented something. So to me, um, Jamie Lee C- Curtis kind of represents the diehard uh, slasher film horror people. Uh, she was kind of really stuck in the past and, you know, she was, you know, really, really violent, really about the, the, the shooting guns and and being a badass and things like that. And she was really, she really embodied just the spirit of those people who love slasher films. Um, you know, she was very open about 
what she was and what she liked and she refuses to let him go. I mean, you know, even when I go back and watch some of my favorite horror films, especially in the slasher genre, uh, sometimes they're hard to watch nowadays. Sometimes they just don't, they don't hold up like they used to. Um, and they, and they definitely don't keep the scares like they used to. Um, also the doctor to me represented, um, just that, that, darker side of everybody who really likes these these types of movies, uh, whether it be slasher or horror, uh, the people who really just like exploring all of that macabre type of stuff. Um, the town in itself uh, resembled just this modern age. Um, you know, a lot of times, especially since I work with teens, uh, I'll watch some older movies with me and, and they just really are are, are very um unimpressed by a lot of the older films that we watch. You know, it looks fake. It's not as good. That's what old people like. That type of stuff is over. It's all about CGI and, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, and then I think Lori's family uh, represented um, kind of just like your casual moviegoer, like just kind of like, all right, it's okay. It, it's fine. And, you know, I'm not going to really make a big fuss over either side but, um, you know, I'm just kind of in the middle. Uh, and so I really did like how there was a lot of symbolism in this film and a lot of different representation representations. And I think uh, Michael Myers represents um, just the genre as a whole uh, and showing that it's still a viable genre and it can be very intense and it can be very foreboding, but it can also be very entertaining. And I think one thing that I love most about this movie was the amount of time they spent developing the characters, not just Laurie Strode, but her daughter, her granddaughter, even her friends. Um, a lot of people are really mad about all the teen drama in there. But let's get real about this. If these kids, like uh, Katie was saying, were just getting naked, doing drugs and fucking each other, then this movie wouldn't be as good. They took the time to develop so many characters, uh, and I really did appreciate that. Now, did it all work? No. Were there some things you could have cut out? Yes, but I do appreciate the effort. I would rather you try to flesh out as many people in your runtime, because I don't even think this movie hit two hours long, to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, and I think they did a good job with all of that. Um, I really did enjoy how efficient of a killer Michael Miles were was in this film. Uh, you know, that that um that one shot that they did where they're over <laughs> his shoulder and he's just going from house to house murking people, that was amazing. Actually, my favorite kill is when uh, mm -hmm. the lady is looking out the window during Halloween, she's calling a night, she's talking to her aunt or whatever, and she looks out the window and he just blushes right through the neck. I just love that it was so gory and so visceral. And I like that they didn't really shy away from that thing, but they, they weren't gratuitous about it. They, they didn't show every kill and they let your imagination do a little bit of the guesswork what would happen. They did a great job of showing the aftermath. It reminded me a lot of Scarface with the chainsaw in the bathroom scene. They didn't show you what happened with that chainsaw, but they showed you the aftermath. And I think a lot of times that can be more disturbing than just seeing somebody's face getting sawed in half. Um, and so 
There were a lot of things that I really did enjoy about this film, but I don't want to say things that everybody else has said. So I'll cut it off right there. But I just really did enjoy this film. I thought when it comes to a soft reboot like this, um, I, I you're, you'll be hard pressed to find uh, another attempt that's as uh, bold and that is as successful as adapting um, the uh, the source material. So, yeah. Awesome. And just so you know, it, it, it did clock in at 106 minutes. It's uh so, yeah, it was just, you know, pretty much in movie length, like a hair under uh, uh, two hours. Yep, so in and out. Yeah. So, Justin, what'd you like? Cool, cool. So I just want to start off by saying that um, I, I, I really like this film. I um, really enjoyed this sitting in the theater watching it. And I could just tell by all the people that I was surrounded by that they enjoyed it, too. Um, the, when I think about this movie, the word that just keeps coming back to me, or the, I guess the phrase that keeps coming back to me is risk taking, because this movie, in my opinion, took a lot of risk. It took a lot of risk with its casting with, um, Jamie Lee Curtis and things like that. It took a lot of risk with the Michael Myers character, almost kind of changing the way he would do things and the way he would operate in his movie, which I'll go into. And then it took a risk doing some of the things that Devin and Katie talked about, actually fleshing out your characters, developing characters and giving them a story and making it about the people more than it was about the killer. These are not things that the older slashers are known for that the classics are known for although we are seeing more of an upper twin trend with our horror movies doing things like that better and developing stories more and characters more but you know there's been a lot of horror movie reboots we've had a friday the 13th reboot we've had um we've had the uh, nightmare on elm street reboot we've had texas chainsaw massacre reboots and and my and yes and even and really there's been halloween reboots there's been a, a couple of them so uh, there's always a challenge with doing a film like this and i feel like this film is really laid down a foundation and a or if or if you will a blueprint of how to do a reboot you have to pay homage to some of your source material but you don't want to just blatantly copy your source material but then you also have to say something. Your movie has to have meaning. It has to have something to say beyond just, we're just fans of the original and that's why you're watching this. And I feel like this movie does that. Um, everybody's already talked about Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least say that I was very impressed by her. And making this movie, making Laurie Strode the central crux of this movie was definitely a smart choice. I loved this battle that she was having with the PTSD. And that was very interesting what Katie said, bringing up things about how these, about how her character and the characteristics we were seeing are true to life and that she's had PTSD patients and has seen some of these behaviors. So that's really awesome to know how accurate it was. And I guess that's why the character felt so real I felt a connection with her that I didn't feel in any of the other sequels and even really the first film. You know, this is a film that really, I think, established her well. And I love the dynamic between her daughter 
Judy Greer, who plays Karen, and then her granddaughter, um, Allison, played by Andy Matichik. I don't want to mess that up. Hopefully that's right. Um, but 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 those I just loved that three generations dynamic. And it really just had to me this message of how trauma, especially what Lori went through, can affect different members of the family, how your family goes about living their lives and things like that. So I think you really saw that in this movie with her daughter, Karen, being very distant from her and uh, and almost rebellious or almost kind of regretting how her childhood was because Lori was always trying to prepare her for the worst. And then you also saw kind of her granddaughter have a closer relationship with her and almost be, and it was almost like there was just that generational gap. And maybe she saw Lori as this survivor, this person really trying and I think that they just had of in the scenes that they were given, they really just showed a relationship that was real to me. And I love that the movie took its time. I mean, before we got to Michael Myers, it took the time to develop all of this. It took the time to show us the family. It took the time to show us that because you could tell it mattered to the writers and the directors and the filmmakers. It, it obviously mattered. So I just love that. It wasn't in a rush to get to Michael Myers. It didn't care that you were like, okay, where's Michael? Where's the killing? Where's the killing? It didn't rush mm -hmm. any of that. And I just appreciated that so, so much. Um, another thing that I loved about the movie, and Devin touched on it a little bit, but one of the great things about the first Halloween movie is, and I kind of talked about this on our what is the best slasher podcast? But the, the first Halloween movie is not really about it's not really about the number of kills or how gory the kills are or anything like that. What makes the first Halloween film so great and what makes it a classic is the stylistic way in which they were having Michael kill people. The camera angles you would get, some of the shots that you would get. I talked about the opening scene in that podcast of us seeing a young Michael Myers walk up the stairs and kill his sister. Well, I was, I'm happy to report that this film gave me a lot of those same feelings. Devin talked about the tracking shot of Michael Myers going through there. And I really think that was an homage to the first movie, but that was a great shot. Um, Devin also talked about how sometimes it wouldn't show you the kill. It would just show you the aftermath and it was kind of left to your imagination. Oh, man, I bet that guy went through hell to get bent over backwards like that or um, jaw broken up against the desk. So th yeah. there were so many different ways that Michael Myers killed someone. And I, I just and and he was very like indiscriminate. He was relentless in this movie. And I think that is the true definition of pure evil. I, I mean, we know that. Uh, with a lot of these movies, Michael has been given that definition. He's pure evil. He's pure evil. But I honestly think that this was the best way to portray that because it didn't matter who you were. If you were in arm's length of this man, <laughs> it was more than likely you were killed. If he needed mm -hmm. something to kill someone with, like a knife or something like that, and you were standing in between him and that knife, you got killed. If he needed something to wear to get out of his um to get out of his uh um 
his original clothes that he had coming out of the psychiatric war when the bus crashed and you were, happened to be a mechanic that was wearing those clothes, you were killed. If you were a child that was just happened to be riding in a car with your dad that Michael Myers needed to escape, you were killed. And I think that there was just something about that, just something about how relentless he was that really just made me appreciate this film. They found a way to make him intimidating, to make some, to cause some tension because you just, you just didn't know who was going to get it. I mean, you always figured, you always had clues and of course people were going to die, but I just, but you never knew how it was going to be shot, how they were going to show it. And just the, the fact that they played around with that so much just made it a lot of fun. And then lastly, the last thing I'll say about this is just the ending of this film. I really appreciate it because um, at the end, when it all comes to a head and it comes down to Michael, Lori and her family and and we get that final matchup and we get that um, that finality to the film. I really think it just kind of wraps up that whole uh, a message that was in there, a hidden message about how. Even though trauma can affect your family in all these different ways, ultimately them working to it was them almost working together in a sense to overcome that trauma that even though it uh, affected Lori the most, affected them all. So I just kind of like that family dynamic of coming together to stop this thing that has been hindering the family for generations. So I really like that message. And the last thing I'll say about it is that I think that not only did this have something to say within the movie's runtime, but I think almost bigger picture, it also had something to say. Um, with Jamie Lee Curtis and this movie having su being such a box office success, perhaps this means that there is still room for these veteran actors and actresses that sometimes Hollywood has a tendency to write off as too old, not interesting anymore, or their best days are behind them, perhaps now an argument yeah. can be made that these veteran actors and actresses can come back. There's still money to be made. There are still compelling characters, even though these actors and actresses played them years ago. There are still interesting stories to tell. And that is why I can, I think I can champion this as the best Halloween sequel that there's been up to this point, arguably one of the best horror movie sequels. And I think it deserves um, every accolade that it gets. Really enjoyed. I just wanted to say, like, in relation to what you just said, Justin, um, about it being terrifying that he just, that Michael Myers just kind of went after anybody and everybody. Um, that just reminds me of, like, I love serial killers and true crime. And it reminds me a lot of like Richard Ramirez and the night stalker where it was just like, there was no MO of like, I only kill 30 year old women that are brunette. Like he was killing old ladies and children. Like it was just all yeah. over the place. So I totally got like that just yeah. kind of triggered something in my brain. Um, something else that I liked about it when you said that. So yeah, they really captured that compulsion. That, that compulsion was amazing. Definitely, definitely. All right, Heather, what'd you like? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the things I liked about this movie are things that um, everyone's already touched on. I I really like this movie, honestly. I think it's um, probably one of the best um, horror movies I've seen um, of the newer ones I've seen. So um, 
I mean, and like I was saying at the beginning, like I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she killed this role. Um, you know, I'm always a fan of her and just like how awesome and badass she is still even at her age. You know, she's almost 60 years old and she's still doing things like she's, mm-hmm. you know, 25. So I think that's really awesome. And I think they, they couldn't have picked a better um, lead role for this. And I think she's also kind of the pioneer of these types of movies, having characters that aren't just dumb. <laughs> you know, they're not just like stupid, like, I don't know what to do kind of characters that she actually like thought on her feet and she 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 survived, you know. So I think it um, it's it's really good to have characters like that in these movies because there's such a, you know, um, the cliche of, you know, the stupid, you know, person that has no idea what's happening and all these things. So she was just she's always been a really great, you know, lead character in a horror film to kind of show that they don't all have to be that way, you know. So I appreciated that about it. And it, of course, is even more true in this movie because of, you know, the number of years that have passed happened. So I just thought that was cool. Um, I really liked the camera shots and the angles that they used. Like it just it was just shot in a really cool way. Um, it amped up for me the the eeriness of the film, I would say. Um, it it just proves that you don't have to really go over the top with any one thing in a horror movie to make it good. So I thought that was um, I appreciated that, too, like um, how you guys were talking about the, you know, gratuitous sex scenes or gratuitous violence. I mean, it definitely was pretty hardcore violence, but you don't feel like they were relying on that just to make a good horror movie. You know, there were those character dynamics and relationships that made it a more important film than just like, oh, there's this random guy going around killing people. So, um, and then I just, I do like that at least at the beginning when, when Michael Myers first escapes, um, I do like that they stuck with his original, um, characterizations as a serial killer, like his methods of how he kills people. Um, you know, like when he, you know, the strangling the boy and, um, you know, going for a knife as his weapon of choice when he was able to find one. And just the fact that he just is always quiet. He never speaks. He's always silent. And they stuck to that in this film. And it was kind of a big part of this film, too, that they were, like, trying to get him to speak. And he still wouldn't. And, you know, he just stuck with, you know, who he was 40 years before he was, you know, put away. So I thought that was a really cool element of the story, too. Um, I also like, um, as I, I believe um, Justin was saying, um, the dynamics between the the granddaughter and the mother and then the grand the i'm sorry the granddaughter and the grandmother and vice versa i just thought that was really cool and how the granddaughter is she's very much just like laurie strode uh personality wise and her demeanor and you know everything like a tall beautiful thin you know um seems to be a fairly responsible person you know seems to be calm and collected um and just even to the fact that she like she sits in the back desk in the classroom um, over by the window, like she's just very much the same as her grandmother. And I thought it was cool that they did that because it's just kind of showing that you know they're they, that that's probably why they have the connection mm-hmm. they do. But also yeah. just doing a callback to the original movie with certain things, so it was really cool. Um, and then I did also enjoy the mother daughter dynamic because Judy Greer. I've always liked her too. She's always a really good, um, I guess you would say side character or supporting character. So she was also the same in this, but she, she was in a more dramatic role in this sense than the comedies that she's usually in. 
and she did a great job and I really liked their their relationship because I feel like it probably would have been true to, you know, if that was your family situation and how you grew up where you were just kind of made to always be on the defensive with everything. I just think that it's a very, um, it was a very well done portrayal of what that relationship would look like. And um, I also really, like Katie was saying at the beginning with the the credits at the beginning and how it was very much the same as the original they did a lot of really cool callbacks to the original. Um, they, um, you, you don't feel like it's the point of the movie, but they did enough of it to where it kind of draws you in to be like, oh, I remember that from the original, which I thought was really cool too. Um, like, like Katie was saying, the credits were, that was really cool. It was yes. exactly the same thing, except the pumpkin in reverse. I feel like maybe they did that for those of us who like grew up with the Halloween franchise, like not so much for the newer, you know, teens, but like it just felt, not only like a callback but like kind of a nod to us like you all have seen this and you know and it's not for the younger kids like yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm, right it's just to keep those who like saw the original and remember it back in the day to be like yes (laughs) this is why i'm here you know so um yeah it was really cool and the scenery of the town you know, you just felt like it was the exact same town. You know, you really do feel like it's a movie that was able to pick up where it left off 40 years later, you know? So it, I, I thought that was the transition that they made and how they, how well they did it. Like if you were to watch the movie back to back, the first one and then this one, you would honestly feel like it really was in the same realm and it was the same thing that it really was just a 40 years later, but the same, everything was the same around it. So I thought that was um, done well in how they made the movie. Um, they, yeah, you you just don't feel like they really missed a beat in between, even though there's so much time that passes. Um, it was just it was just really cool to feel like they just picked up where they left it off. And um, I do also like how they they made this a sequel that was separate from all of the other sequels because in that sense it really did it stayed a little bit more true to the original and it just felt more like the true sequel to the original film if that makes sense and um just a lot of uh the scenes that they did throughout the movie were um still going back to how they do a lot of callbacks they they did a lot of the original scenes in reverse sort of so i really liked the fact that um you know towards the end when they're in the house and laurie's trying to find michael and track him down and then they finally are you know, in the same room face to face. Um, and he pushes her out the window and then he looks away for a second because he hears a noise or something. And then he looks back and she's gone, you know, and that's exactly how the first movie ended with Michael Myers when he was, you know, thrown out the window or shot out the window. And then yeah. he gets up and he's gone. Great, and I thought that was super back. awesome. Yeah. Love that. Right. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, what now? Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's so what you get, it, it was just really cool. Well, they wanted a response. They right. wanted him to respond. Yeah, right. They got it. He, he, mm-hmm. he reacted. Yeah, I mean, and then um, it was just also there was a scene when um, when the daughter Judy Greer's character, when she, you know, she's trying to sort of you know trick Michael Myers into being in her view, and then um, you know some stuff goes down or whatever, and then you just kind of see Lori in the back she's kind of hiding lurking in the shadows which i also thought was really cool because that's you know the first scene when you see michael myers you know trying to kill laurie in the first movie it's the same kind of shot you see like half a silhouette you know and you just see him kind of lurking behind her when she doesn't know it and it was just it was also just a really cool 
um, nod to the original, but done in a way where you don't feel like it was like, oh, they're just trying to copy the original straight up. Because it actually took me a minute to realize that that's what they did, you know. Um, And then it, um, I would also say that I, I just like the fact that it's a complete story. Also, especially for horror movies, that's not as common. These days, they just go for the shock factor and that's it. They just want to scare you and then you're done. But with this movie, it um, it really was so good at having more depth to it. And it showed the aftermath of Jamie Lee Curtis's character. And, um, you know, like you guys were saying, it feels like it would have truly been, you know, um, her state of mind and how she would have reacted and how she would have been as a person after experiencing that trauma so many years ago. And I like that they they didn't make it move a movie of like just I want revenge just for the sake of revenge. They did it to be more of a um, I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of being so scared and I'm tired of this running my life. And I I I wanted to end kind of attitude about it. And I thought it was cool to play up that element more than just the I'm just angry that you did it. So I won't revenge, you know, so it just kind of it played a lot into her personality. And it played a lot into that's, of course, how she's going to see it because she's been terrified and locked away and preparing for this for so long. And this is what it all culminated to. And it was just a really it was just a really cool way to be like, you know what, it just needs to stop. And that's why I'm preparing because I'm I'm tired of this and I'm tired of living this. So um, yeah, it was just overall, I just think it was a really well done movie, especially for a horror film. And there's so many times when you see these movies that they either reboot them or they make all these sequels to them. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like you don't really feel anything for it. With this one, you're just, you feel like, or at least for me, I felt like it did the the movie and the franchise just by the way that they. All right. My turn. Um, oh boy. Uh oh. <laughs> Everyone prepare yourselves. This is like you little bitches. Calm down. (laughs) Well, you can't really say you can't really say this is the likes calmed out because during the Venom podcast, we got to the like section and I didn't have anything. So you can't really say that. I have been known to to go uh, against the grain in the like section. Um, But no, I do like some things about this movie. So I might as well say them now instead of forever uh, holding my peace. Um that's a really awkward phrase to say when you're referring to yourself in that situation. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I did, I did like some things. I liked, I liked something that you know a lot of you guys already mentioned the the characterizations of a lot of the characters. Uh, I liked the dynamics between Jamie Lee Curtis and Judy Ge- uh, Greer and whatever the fuck the daughter's name is. I'm way too lazy to look that up at the point. I think Justin said it or said a version of her name earlier. So we'll just go with whatever he said. Andy Matichak. <laughs> Matichak. Yeah. Right, that. Andy Matichak or Chak or however the fuck you say it. Um, I liked their interactions with each other. I liked the dynamics they had with each other. Um, you know, I liked the fact that the granddaughter, while kind of understanding a lot of people's grievances with her grandmother, since since she didn't live with that and experience it too much directly herself, she didn't fully understand or agree with her mom. Like her mom did have some legit grievances against her mother, but you know, the granddaughter wouldn't understand those because she didn't live through that stuff. So I liked the dynamics that they had when they played off that. Um, I thought the third act uh, was really strong, um, which is typically not always the case in horror films. Sometimes the third act is more anticlimactic than you would want. 
Um, I, I thought this one did a very good job of that. I thought they did a good job of tying up some of the the threads that they had put in the movie early, like when uh, Judy Greer was talking about uh, her experiences growing up and what she had to go through with her mom and seeing those little notes kind of pay off in that final uh, battle, if you will, um, was yeah. really nice to see. Um, one of the things that is kind of a double-edged sword with me with this movie is to quote something Devin has said before, this is kind of the Force Awakens version of Halloween. It's a sequel, it's a reboot, but it's kind of a redoing. To me, this movie feels a lot like the first movie, which is a good and bad thing. And I'm going to talk about kind of why it's good in, in this particular section is the fact that I think that's why this movie kind of succeeds more than the other sequels and everything's have before is the fact that it does play closer to the original than the other like 10 movies have before this or nine movies or whatever the fuck the number is. Like it plays a little closer to the first one than those other movies did. It didn't, to me, it didn't tweak the formula too much. So it kind of fit really well with what was going on. So, uh, and I think that's what kind of helps people like uh, connect with this movie is because of the familiarity you get with this movie uh, is a lot closer in theme and and tone and uh, development as the first movie. So you kind of get that familiarity with it all. And I think that's what kind of helps it feel better than those other movies. And it's kind of like The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens is a lot like A New Hope in just a billion ways. And I think that's what makes it work. It worked way better than the prequels because it felt more like a Star Wars movie than those than the prequels did. And this one feels more like a Halloween movie than the other sequels and reboots did before it. So I think that's really kind of where this movie succeeds where other movies hadn't. And like I said, the characterizations are great. Uh, and like everybody said before, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is fantastic in this movie. Uh, I really like the way they did some of the shifts in her character where there are times she's, you know, comes across as like weak and vulnerable because of some of the aspects of the PTSD that are affecting her. But then at the same time, like when it's go time at the end of the movie, she's fucking ready to go. Like there's no hesitation. She's just, yeah, we're doing this. Yep. You know, and it could have gone either way. She could have like really gotten hit by the PTSD and buckled under it. Or she could do what she's been training her mind and body for for decades. And that's what she does. And it's great. Like, I like seeing the duality of it all. That, you know, you see those times where she's vulnerable from it all. But then you see the times where it also kind of makes her stronger in this situation. And I really liked and appreciated this movie doing that. All right. I guess we're moving on to the next section since everybody has nothing to say now. We're agreeing in silence. Uh, that was a very long, awkward, awkward silence. Sometimes the best things that are said are the ones that are not said well, at all. Well, not in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I do like things in movies, okay? I like things. I'm not surprised. Listen listen to... Behold the things I like. Listen listen to the last one. Was it Born a Star or Star is Born? I don't know why I can't ever keep that name right. A Star is it's Born. Star is Born. I don't know why. I will flip it probably 90 times in the next week. Uh, a star is born. Okay. Like, listen to I liked that movie, <laughs> so I do like things here and there. It's not crazy, um, <laughs> but we can't we can't jump into the dislikes now, though, since nobody has anything you know comments on my likes. 
I feel uh, like Sterling's so, really ready for these dislikes, which sounds I'm not really right. ready for them. It's just, that's my segment. We might as, right. you know, at this point, we might as well call the dislike section the, you know, Sterling <laughs> section of things we didn't like. Like, in memory of all the things that contribute to the dislike section. Mm, yes. Let's, let's do it. We should have a, we should have a theme song. <laughs> the section of the show that Sterling doesn't like. He actually likes it, but he doesn't like this movie for these reasons. The stuff he doesn't like. Yeah. That was, I mean, off the top of your head, that was some good stuff, man. Go with it. Yeah, Tenacious Tenny. That's the name of his band. His song. Drink, everybody drink. Little Tenny Penny. But no, yes, we can go into dislikes. I'll start them off. We can go in reverse order on this one. I'll start them off. I've got some things I didn't like. That's um, surprising. Let me, get, let me get out my little notes here because I got a lot to say. Not you really. took this notes is... on the dislikes, but not on the likes. <laughs> nah, awesome. Nah, nah. Mm. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, is what Jasmine was talking about earlier. He was talking about how he felt like this movie took risks and, you know, did a lot of those things like that where I feel the complete opposite. I don't think it took any risks. Um, I thought it played it a little too safe at all times. and. Also, something that Justin liked that drove me nuts was how it was wildly inconsistent with what types of kills it would show. Um, you know, it would show somebody get stabbed through the throat, but it won't show somebody get punched to death. It'll show sh- show somebody, you know, head explode like a water balloon, but it won't show somebody just get stabbed a few times. It's incredibly inconsistent with what it'll show. It'll show a kid get murdered. But it won't show just somebody getting beat with a pipe in a in a garage somewhere. It's just wildly inconsistent with what it does. And also, like, the time that he takes for some of these kills is also wildly inconsistent. Like, he takes, like, 45 minutes to kill those podcasters in the bathroom. It's forever just to <laughs> beat them to death. But then he has enough time to essentially carve a pumpkin into somebody's head later in the movie. It makes no sense. Like, he did that in 45 seconds. He kills somebody and carves their head into a pumpkin in 45 seconds. And then, you know, spent 45 minutes killing two people with his fists. And they're not even cops. He killed a cop and made him into a jack-o'-lantern. Two podcasters took him longer than almost anyone else in this movie. And they're podcasters. (laughs) Other than Justin, podcasters are very weak people. And I don't necessarily mean like physically weak. I'm just saying. Oh no, I resent that. I'm remark. just saying. I, I, I resent that remark. I know, bitch. Man. I'm just saying. All right, we're not going to hold our own that long against fucking Michael Myers. I'm holding my own because that bitch can't catch me. I didn't see his ass run one goddamn time. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I would be. You fine. can run. I would be fine in this. I've been smoking two packs a day since I was 19. <laughs> so for what? 13 years now, I've been smoking at least two packs a day. Let somebody else do that math. My lungs can't do that. You might just be to Michael <laughs> Myers to that, like the infant that he didn't kill in that movie, who was just crying in the crib. He just see you all smoky and passed <laughs> this isn't out from even clear a whiskey. Like, oh, yeah. it's fucking, fuck it. Just leave him there. He's he's already dead. Yep. <laughs> he probably just walk right past you. I'm kind of hoping he does with me like the Predator does to what's his name, Waylon in Alien versus Predator. Just sees that I'm ca- cancer ridden and diseased. There's no point in fighting me. <laughs> yeah, that's what that would be. 
And this is Maya's <laughs> vision. He'd look at your lungs and it's just full of cancer. <laughs> and then he'd look at your stomach and it's just full of alcohol, just fermented. You're <laughs> fermenting beer as we speak. This is <laughs> that much is in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's whiskey right now. So oh, it's, it's whiskey. You were your aging whiskey uh, in, a, in a tar barrel. I have right a human now. whiskey barrel. <laughs> and you the whiskey barrels. I love it. And, oh. and, and the whiskey that comes from my body has just a slight like tobacco flavor to it because of everything else I'm doing. So this like is your next hint- podcast intro to yourself, by the way. Just keep this the noted human whiskey for that. barrel. No, but yeah. I do. I do agree with what I'm, I'm, Sterling I'm just okay actually that. said about the the actual movie that we're talking about. Like when he did the thing and then like turned the guy into a jack o' lantern. I was like, I don't know what movie I'm watching. Like this is not Michael Myers. That's not his thing. It's not his mo. But it just felt really inconsistent yeah. to me. Oh, so like he's I, done I don't stuff know. Like I just wanted to give a nod to, uh, to Sterling there real quick. <laughs> I mean, I get what he's saying. It, it's it's com- it's completely true. I, I I I totally agree with you saying. But I think especially the journalist. I mean, if you ain't been killing nobody in about 20, 30 years, you're going to have to get back into it. You're not going to be as good as you used to, you know, so he had to get it in there. And all he had to had to deal with really was a bathroom door. Man, and he utilized it pretty he killed, good. He, he killed a hunter before that in like 2.8 seconds. Somebody with a rifle he kills in no time at all. And I don't even know how he saw the hunter. I don't even know how he <laughs> saw the hunter. The guy was wearing camo. Just ask John Cena. How did he <laughs> see that motherfucker? <laughs> John Cena. Well, his his peripheral vision wasn't hindered because he didn't have the mask on, so he was able to see him a little bit. Man, he's only he got one eye. His killer he's only got one eye because they kept in canon the fact that he was stabbed with the coat hanger in the other eye. Yeah, but I'm just saying he kept his killer. Man, he's only got one though. eye, and also that guy also had a pretty good depth perception for only having one eye. That's another. It improves your aim. No, it doesn't. Having one eye, it does. That is what Deathstroke said, and I believe Deathstroke. Well, no, you shouldn't, because it doesn't. Like, anybody that does anything, like, when you shoot a gun or something like that, you typically use both eyes. I know a lot of times in movies and television, they show, like, closing one eye and just focusing through the other. No, that's actually bad technique. You use two eyes. So you get good. Yeah, but but if you're a beginning shot, but he doesn't shoot anybody. He's more stabbing and choking. And whenever I choke someone, I have to close one eye. Whenever he's going for a slash or something like that, his depth perception should be affected by this. And it's not. I am nitpicking at this point, but I can because I have other legit grievances. So it it really is totally inconsistent. The way way they used the doctor was completely back-ass fucking stupid. Oh, yeah. I mean, this doctor apparently is... An incredibly huge genius and also apparently a murder machine in his own right. I mean, it's implied heavily that this doctor helped him escape on the bus. Like that's high, like implied heavily in this movie. They don't show it, but that's really what is they're showing you. Like they're putting just the tip in of that scenario. And but then later when he kills the cop, he's like, I've always wondered what it was like to kill people. Well, what did you do earlier? How did you make this bus crash before? If you're not like stabby stabby with somebody, like what did he do? Did he just whip his dick out on the bus and the bus driver go, oh shit, and went into a ditch? Like it made that made no sense. But even then, the motivations behind the doctor made no fucking sense. Like, you know, he wanted to see and witness Michael Myers and his unleashed fury and, you know, whatever for him. And which made no sense because Loomis was his mentor. 
Like Loomis was his mentor. So why would like he stray that far from Loomis? Loomis, the last thing in the world Loomis would have ever wanted was Michael Myers free. Yes. And I feel especially near Lori Stroud. Exactly. And I feel like they spent no time if it would be a totally different movie. Um, or a new movie, even if they spent time on developing this character that was like, hey, I'm a doctor and I have all this counter transference and I wonder what it would be like to stab somebody and all of that. But it's like they didn't even spend any time developing that part of the story. It was just like, hey, all of a sudden we're going to do this for five minutes and then we're going to duck back out of it. And I was like, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't even part of the story. It just, I don't know. It felt really weird. <laughs> I mean, this doctor had the weirdest fucking fetishes in the world because, like, he was totally getting a raging boner for the possibility of finding out what Michael Myers might have said about his sister once. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so much so that this random, like, 16-year-old girl tricks him with it. This guy's a fucking doctor of psychology. And just if somebody just says, hey, Michael Myers said something to me, even though we're in the car together and you haven't heard this guy say a damn thing. Right. I'm going to say he said something and your dick's going to get hard from it and you're going to go instantly stupid to find out what it was. And like like I said, the motivations behind it just are, were entirely fucking stupid. He just wanted to see that nonstop. Like he was completely okay with Michael Myers murdering just dozens and dozens of people as long as he got to see it, I guess. Like that was his big thing. He just wanted to see Michael Myers and then he wanted him like he wanted him to to confront Lori just so he might say something. Listen, don't be too hard on the doc. I mean, he's pretty much, I mean, that's what you wanted to. You just want to see Michael Myers kill people. You watch him too. Well, you can't fault the doctor. But at the same you time, just like him. he also wanted him to, like, you know, to meet, you know, Lori and just go, oh, hey, Lori, I know I tried to kill you 40 years ago, but now that we're together again, even though I didn't say anything the last time we, we interacted and I tried to kill you, I'm going to go into a monologue about why I killed my sister before that. Are you ready? Well, 80% of communication is nonverbal. So he could have just wanted to pick up those nonverbal cues. Yeah, but 82, you know, 82% of statistics are bullshit. So it doesn't, that doesn't matter either. No, no but that's, that's right. That's, 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 it is nonverbal. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm 100%. I'm 100% right on that. No, that's the thing is I, that's not true. That is actually a bogus statistic <laughs> because with nonverbal communication and things like that, communication is dictated solely by the communicatee. Whoever is getting like receiving communication, 100% dictates all communication, because if you do not explain yourself well enough and they misunderstand you, that's still on you and not them. You have to always explain it in a way that they will understand. What you, what you perceive when you're speaking to someone, a lot of it is from nonverbal cues. That's what your mind reads. No. It's just like Michael Scott said when he's like, I say the same thing Chris Rock says, the same comedic timing. <laughs> That is one of my favorite word. every time. Oh my god. <laughs> He's butchering it. Oh, oh my god. That is so awesome. I cannot believe I got that in there. Um I'm gonna stop talking because I think I've won. I've won for myself. Anyway, going into this though, it still makes no sense. And honestly, the best way they could have used this doctor that would have actually made it compelling. And it was a huge missed opportunity by these people. They just wanted to have some stupid, nonsensical scenes is if they had had the doctor think that he could in a misguided way, instead of him being a shit face and just a terrible person, 
And that's why he's doing all these things. Because they had actually just kind of had him be the misguided doctor, like trying to do something that is unconventional and for all intents and purposes, terrible, but doing it for the right reasons. Like if he's thinking he can cure Michael and Lori and like help them, if he can actually get them to interact again in like maybe a safer way, you know, not necessarily in a, you know, stabby, stabby way. You know, if he can just get them around each other, that maybe he can break this vicious cycle that they have going. And, you know, and it's that misguidedness that leads him down this path of trying to help Michael reunite with her, not realizing that for Michael, every interaction he's really going to have is, for a lack of a better word, the stabby, stabby kind. You know, he might not be stabbing somebody, but it's the same, you know, end effect. He is, you know, as they always say, pure evil. So he's going to try to just try to kill anybody he sees. But at the same time, he doesn't. The way he kills people or his method to killing people just makes no sense either. He's just like walking down the street and it's like, you know, he's doing like the Fibonacci sequence in like houses. He's like, well, the first house I go to, I'm going to kill somebody. And then the next house I go to, I'll kill somebody. Then I'll go two houses down and kill somebody. Then I'll go three houses down and kill somebody. And then I'll go five houses down. And it's that weird fucking sequence of just nonsensicalness that he's just jumping around how like these random number of houses, you know, and also that serendipitous way of him just coming across people that all have to do with the granddaughter. Like he just accidentally ended up in the house with her best friend and then just accidentally ends up in this random fenced up yard, which I don't even know how he got back in that. Cause can, can he climb anything? Have we ever seen Michael Myers climb a damn thing ever? Cause he somehow ended up in a very bricked and fenced yard. I don't think that would have really ruined Michael Myers. It was like, no, 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 no. He's like, oh, shit. And he like kind of he misses the first time. He like runs back, tries to jump over the fish and puts himself. He's like, no, 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 no. He like throws one leg over and almost gets over, but he's like 62 now. And so he falls down again and he, he, he just pauses and he goes and he looks for like a, something he can stand up on and he's like stacking up boxes like fucking Larry from Home Alone. I mean, do you have to see every fucking thing in a movie? I mean, who gives a fuck how he got over the fucking fence? Jesus. <laughs> and also, like, what are the odds that he just rolled up on a guy that wears the same shirt, pants, and shoe size as him? It's just <laughs> astronomical. I mean, he could have at least gone and robbed a Dillard's or something for those clothes. And I know that's a small thing. But it, at, at the same time, it's not really. Like, like we've already stated, he's an above average height and build guy. And somehow he is getting his exact uniform. And like the first place he visited visits after breaking out of an insane asylum. Exactly. If he's like 6'3 to 6'8, let's even say he's just 6'3 on the conservative side. You're not going to find shoes just in the very first house you walk into or like the very first bus crash. Like, no, I totally agree. <laughs> Listen, one thing I will say about that is he did get his cars from like a pretty good sized car garage. And I'm, and it is, it's really, it is really serendipitous and convenient that they had a size, uh, a guy. But anytime I go to get my car fixed or any auto shop, there is, if there's a lot of, a few employees there, there is at least one very large man there at all times. I think it's part of like union code that you just have to have some big, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of looking people. There was only there. people there. <laughs> well, I'm just saying the Carrar garage in itself was a pretty big one. So, you know, I'm just going to stretch it out and say there had to be multiple employees and it just happened to be 
the big motherfucker's day to work. Well, see, and I'm also looking at it, too. That guy seemed a little on the rotund side. So that's what I'm saying. Because that's what I'm saying. That, but Michael Myers, not rotund, very form fitting suit. Well, but, but that's what I'm saying is that, you know, but it's the hype thing, because, you know, sometimes when I put on a shirt that's made for, you know, somebody with a different uh, body type than me, it fits me a lot more, a lot slimmer, even though it's on a bigger guy. Because I have like bigger shoulders and, you know, bigger arms or whatever. I mean, Jastin, you know what I'm talking about, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but like the chest, the chest in midsection, though, the chest in midsection, very tapered fit. That was an athletic cut auto mechanic shirt. <laughs> yeah, but if he, but but if you have if you're a little thicker in the midsection, I'm just saying. So maybe the big guy just what if the big guy just had shitty taste, or what if the uniforms were just kind of standard issue? It's like this is for a six three six three serial killer guy, but you with your your five ten should have just been a little blouse. You know, it could have been a little looser. But I'm not really going to critique his 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 clothing styles. I just think that that we're past that in 2018. Not everybody has the best clothes, Darlene. You got to let I'm gonna it go. I'm going to end on one thing. I'm going to end on one thing. And then we'll move on to Heather. So in an article about nonverbal communication, the official statistic was 93% of all communication is nonverbal. But the inherent flaw in this, hold on, there was a big flaw in it, is because to determine this, you actually would have to pick up on things and the person who was receiving all the nonverbal communication would have to pick up on things that they don't always necessarily process. Like, micro facial expressions and things like that that your eye sees in your brain processes that you do you do on a more subconscious level so the inherent flaw in this logic is the fact that you're actually asking people to count uh, account for things that they might not consciously process at all times and so it also goes on to state that while it you know it would be nice if we did have a number for it ultimately the actual amount doesn't matter. It could be 75%. It could be 90%. But ultimately, the amount of it that you process would vary from person to person, would vary from uh, circumstance to circumstance. And the amount would not necessarily matter because it would be always changing. And that ultimately, all that matters is that when people are communicating with each other, that they actually just process or they attempt to communicate in the most clear and intentional way they can. That's what this article says. Suck it. Heather, your turn. Hold on. No, 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 no. I do have just a a couple of sentences. So what you're telling me is that if the doctor perceived his nonverbal communication um, in some form, then that would suffice for that doctor. And so I think that that when Michael Myers, it's not about accuracy because you said it doesn't. That article said it doesn't really matter. So but I'm, I'm going on accuracy. No, no, no. I said the percentage doesn't matter is what it said. It doesn't matter if it's 75%, 90%, anything like that. That's not what matters is what I said. It's the whole complete package of communication and being done with like clear purpose and clear intent. Okay. So, but I'm going back to nonverbal physical cues. And so Michael Myers ended up communicating with that doctor and those podcasters, especially the doctor when he stomped on his face and went on Ed Norton in American History X and exploded his head like a watermelon. So I think that he got his point across to that doctor. <laughs> That's all. He <laughs> communicated the fuck with him. It didn't matter what that doctor perceived. He got the point. He got it. But that's still, that's that's not the same and you know it. I'm he right, put his wrong. best foot forward with when he communicated Heather, with that doctor. It's Heather's turn. <laughs> quit interrupting Heather. Go, Heather. 
Oh boy. Um, yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think you guys are right about the inconsistencies of the killing. Um, I really did. I think I thought going into it, it was going to be, you know, his original MO because of how it started out when he first, you know, escaped. But, uh, you are right. There are a lot of inconsistencies with the killings. Um, the, just the really unrealistic way that he kills, um, the doctor, you know, by just stepping on his face, basically. It just, it was really like, okay, where did this come from? <laughs> but I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I, for me, it was just too much and it was not necessary really to, to do it that way. But, um, and also, you know, the, the cops that he killed and then he lit them up like jack-o'-lanterns. It was just like, okay, like, like you were saying, it really just, it took him like zero time to do that elaborate killing. You know, it was just really like, what? You know, so that's, that's probably my main, um, dislike about the film and, just like you were also saying, he just happened to know, you know, that the girl in the car was Lori's granddaughter and where to find the house Lori was in. You know, maybe it, he wasn't necessarily supposed to have known that that was them. But if that is the case, it was a little bit too coincidental. And um, I mean, when you're in the movie and you're in the moment, you're not really thinking about it. Or I wasn't at least really thinking about it because I was like, oh, man, you know, it's the showdown. This is what we're waiting for them to face off. But then you're like, wait a minute, like, why does he know that's where she is? <laughs> why does he know where to at all find her, anyone in her family? Why does he know who they are? So it just really was, um, there were inconsistencies with that. Um, and also, I would say that um, I, I just because of from the previews and the trailers, it just seemed like a lot more of the movie was going to take place sort of surrounded by the um, the mental institution aspect of it. And I think I could have really, um, you know, I could have stood a little bit more of the mental institution scenes that they did um, at the beginning there, because I think they were well done as they were. Um, and you, just the idea of being in an asylum with all these people that are creepy or considered insane, it just, it's already something like a scary element that they added. And I was expecting a little bit more of that element in the movie, but that was not necessarily the case. So I think that that would have actually been something that might have helped a little bit more of the the creepiness of the movie if they would have done a little bit more with those mental institution scenes and all of that. So those are the main two things for me that I'm just like, eh, this is really kind of a no-go. But um, I, I don't think overall it took away from the movie, like wanting to see it or enjoying it. But those are definitely two things that for me, stood out as like, this could have definitely been better. <laughs> Justin, your turn. Okay, dislike. So, I mean, pretty much everybody, or at least you guys have already kind of mentioned them, but just to kind of go back over everything, um, I definitely get the inconsistencies with some of the kills. I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of like a two-sided coin for me because I enjoyed, because it's like you enjoyed some of them, and then some of them I could definitely understand, like stomping the doctor's head and, and we get that kind of fatality moment that that did seem out of um, it, it definitely was way far left from a lot of some of the other kills that we got. So I could definitely understand some consistencies there. I don't know. But for the most part, I I was cool with the different ways he was killing. I thought it kind of made the movie interesting and gave them some 
interesting op options as far as how to film it and whatnot. But I will admit the head pop did seem was way over the top from what we had been given before that time. Really, you could almost just file all my dislikes under uh, under a tab that just says the doctor. And I think you would almost just have everything that I disliked <laughs> about the film, because I do agree with Sterling. I think that I, I love that idea that you came up with, man, about how what if he just had this sort of misguided way and he, of thinking that he could heal Michael Myers? That would have made a lot of sense to me, especially because if he had picked up Loomis's work and had been doing this for 40 years and got nowhere, I could see him thinking, man, I failed. I mean, why didn't the, and I think that would have been an interesting story that you wouldn't have needed a lot of scenes necessarily to tell. Cause he could have been like, I failed. I never was able to, to, to open the safe. I was never able to solve the mystery that is Michael and thinking about, and then all of a sudden he starts thinking, well, maybe this is a chance I could, but it's unconventional. I know this is against what I'm supposed to do, but I've got to take this chance. I've got to see if maybe, maybe this, if I can get them together, maybe there'll be a cure. Maybe I can find a cure. And I think that definitely would have worked better than what we got. Now, to be fair to the movie, it did give us some clues that the doctor was a little bit off. Like when he first wanted, like at the beginning, it, I don't know about anybody else, but I immediately threw up a red flag when he was like, I want to ride in the bus with Michael. I, he's my patient. I want to see this through the end. I don't know about anybody else, but immediately I was like, okay, that was weird. Like, I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't understand why he needed to ride with Michael. So that was kind of a red flag for me right off the bat. Plot device. Yep. Uh, yeah, of course. But, you know, but just looking at it from character terms, that was a, that to me, that was kind of like a clue that something is off about this doctor. The police officers were having a conversation about him. And one of them was like, well, man, he's to the extent of like, man, he's being he's why is he in the way of this investigation? Why does he coming around? Why does he have to be around this? And the guy was like, man, I think he's more of a liability than he is an asset. So it was kind of like the cops didn't like him. They thought he was too overbearing. So, you know, th they gave some it clues that something was off about the doctor. But I agree with everyone that what we got and the extreme measures that he took and putting on the mask and having this, yeah, you know, that that euphoric moment with the mask and a lot of that stuff, it was just way too extreme for the lack of development that we got. So I definitely think that the doctor is the biggest problem. And just if I'm going to nitpick one more thing, um, I honestly would have preferred more scenes with uh with Lori and the and her daughter and the granddaughter. I love those scenes and I honestly could have could wouldn't have mind if there was one or two more of those. Maybe another maybe a more intricate flashback where we see Lori's daughter young and her maybe telling her some story or maybe the first time she told her about Michael and she was old enough to tell or something like that. I don't know. I think there was a chance to maybe do a little more with that. And instead, we kind of got we kind of got a little bit more of the granddaughter's life with what was going on with her friends and stuff like that. 
which is important. I understand we have to develop that character, but honestly, I could have used less of that. And I think there was a chance to have some more scenes with uh Lori and her daughter, the dynamic of that and how um Lori treated her when she was younger. So those would be my main nitpicks with the film. Devin, your turn. Well, not to beat a stomped horse, <laughs> but I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna nitpick something. So I wanna break something down for you. So this is a um a psychiatrist. This is Dr. Dr. Creepy Stash McPin Knife. And uh, I guess his turn to the side of evil was supposed to be spontaneous. But I want you to just think about this. I'm not going to take 17 minutes to explain why I don't like this. I'm just going to explain one, one part, one piece of this person's attire that shows you that this is the most fucked up person on the face of the, the earth. So when he kills the police officer, he does it with a retractable pin scalpel with a looks it looks like a spine connected to a brain like a robocop 3 with uh what was that dude's name on robocop 3 <laughs> what was his name kane like that it was brain stem with eyeballs and shit on it so that's not something you can just go to amazon or wish.com and in order because they don't have that they don't have a scalpel pin knife with a brain uh shirt clip or paperclip at the end. They don't have that. So he had to commission somebody. He went to them and was like, hey, I need you to make me a pen uh, that when you press a button, a razor sharp scalpel comes out that I could possibly murder someone with. And I wanted to have a brain stem at the end of it uh, to hold onto my shirt when I have it. And um, there's actually at the beginning of the movie, there's actually a kind of a little close up of that pen which was like just a huge giveaway that was going to come into play at the movie. And I'm just not realizing it, but he had to, he specially ordered that pen to do that. He wanted to murder someone so bad that he used possibly the most unconventional weapon you could possibly think of. I mean, he might as well have just gotten like a, uh, a, a shoe, a knife boot or a, uh, maybe like a razor sharp, um, um, what is that thing called? Would you put your paper on a clipboard? And so like he could take the clip out, clipboard out and, and he could stab you with that because it was actually razor sharp. I bet you had a house full of, of innocuous office accessories that he could murder you with. Um, because you have to be fetished out to that's not his first weapon of murder, um, that he had. He probably had like sticky notes. Uh, but instead of the sticky stuff, it was like some type of oil. Skin oil induced acid, so you put it on your face and ah! I mean, it, it's just why that he could have went for the officer's gun. He could have, I don't know, gotten the yeah. car and hit the officer with the car. Why did he have a a, a pin knife with the brain on it? He yeah. thought this out, <laughs> and it's so fucking stupid. And I just, I don't care. I don't care about anything else. I would, I would rather have. You know, I know Katie was like, I'm glad there was no hardcore fucking, but I would have taken a uh, Patrick Bateman American Psycho style fuck session over that pen. When that pen shot out that knife, I was like, this movie is about to lose me. And when he got up with that mask <laughs> on his face and I was like, if this motherfucker starts walking around like Michael Myers and kill a people with that mask on, I'm going to rip this exactly. fucking movie screen to shreds. 
and I'm going to go beat the projectionist to death. I am going to go on my own killing spree if that happens. And luckily they didn't. And so I'm fine with him stomping his brain out because it's like they read the script and went, this is the dumbest shit that we have ever thought of. And I bet you in the original script, it goes a lot further than that. I could just feel it going further than that. And I think they just said, you know what? Scratch that. Just stomp on his head and explode his face. And I'm glad it happened. Wow. Consistency be damned. Yes. <laughs> and now, last but not least, Katie, what did you what did you not like? So, yeah, it's mostly so much of what other people have said about the inconsistencies um, and things not fitting the Michael Myers that we know. But I don't know. So, yes, one of my favorite things and one of my likes was that they stuck to such a classic model um of the film but that is uh that's like a catch-22 for me because on the flip side of that i'm like this isn't dynamic it's not new um this isn't scaring me so i mean that's like a personal thing i know this movie could scare a lot of people but like i don't know i just didn't like when i left even when i left this movie i was leaving at midnight um on opening weekend and I was like, I'm not scared to walk to my car. Like, Get Out gave me more of like a panicky feeling when I left that movie. Um, but yeah, I think something Heather touched on was important for me that the prison scene, oh, they could have gone so many cool ways with that and like really disturbing things. Um, yes, like with the... Yeah. Oh, there was like so much mental illness there. And I was like, you lost so many cool points that you didn't um, develop that scene a little bit more. Um, yep. So yeah, I don't know. That was kind of a disappointment for me. And uh, my biggest thing was the finale. It just did not resonate with me. So him burning in the basement, I don't know. I wanted to see because, and maybe it was because of all the heartache and the mental illness and sorrow that he caused and like all the grief that Michael Myers caused, but him just like looking up forlorn from the basement with the mask on still and still not having said anything like him looking up from the basement burning <laughs> forlorn. Yes. That's a great <laughs> word for that. Yeah. Yes. Um, just it's such a give up. Like this, this give up look is still in the mask. Like, uh, I don't know. I was hoping for something, so, especially with all the like the feminine power going on. I was like, please let her be able to like chop him up or like chop his head off or something to where like he bleeds out or like something terrible. Um, because they're yeah, because burning alive is real fucking pleasant. Okay. But like top ten ways to but die. We didn't get to see any carnage <laughs> or any anything. But you, but you, but you saw the relief and the closure. Yeah. And um, the what word am I looking for? The um, catharsis. The catharsis on Jamie Lee Curtis's face on that to me was what that was about. It wasn't seeing Michael die. It was seeing her let this burden go that she's carried around for decades. That wasn't Michael's moment. He had his moment when he got his fingers blown off and got turned into Michael Pierre Paul. <laughs> he had his moments when he got to slaughter and murder a whole bunch of people. He got his. This was all about uh, the family and them moving on, burning their past right down to the house that it took 
the, the right down to the house. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what could be worse than burning to death. Maybe uh, a little jigsaw down there for you. Hello, Michael. I like to play a game. I was just going to add, um, and uh, for me, you know, fire, especially fire in movies, just has a lot of symbolic meaning. And I don't know. I think that, and, and I know for a fact that uh, like a lot of times, like filmmakers or films, they use fire to kind of show like it can show somebody's burning desire. It can show the creation of something. It can show the destruction of something. And I don't know. I just feel like fire was perfect for them because you have Michael Myers who kind of has this unrelenting will to kill, right? Like he's this unrelenting. It was like, he's this unrelenting. He's got this unrelenting will to kill just this um this pure raging evil about him right that's what that rage and fire right murderous intent and then on the flip side of that there was jamie lee curtis and there was this desire to kill him right mm-hmm. so it was almost like and and it was kind of like they it was the dichotomy of those two characters all in kind of that all encapsulated in that moment and i think it was saying something about that desire and will that she had to get rid of him and the and that burning desire he had and something had to give and it was almost like to me symbolism for that the destruction of that the chaos of that was kind of represented within that fire or at least that's what i thought you know if you look at fire symbolism and stuff like that it, it's almost kind of very fitting that they use that and you're, you know that was just my yeah, no you're you're totally right and i wish because i uh i usually am so in tune with symbolism and like it strikes like deep within me but i don't know why this just didn't do it for me um but yeah, I mean, you're totally right about the symbolism. I just, and what Devin was saying is like, you could see the relief on her face. And normally when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally feel what she's feeling. I just didn't feel it like with this movie. And I just, and maybe it's because like, yeah. and I know it has nothing to do with this current movie, but like in the second Halloween film, Dr. Lewis burns Michael Myers alive and it doesn't fucking do anything. Like he doesn't die. It doesn't kill him. And I know that has nothing to do with the current movie um, because that had like so many more supernatural parts to it. But I'm like, I've already seen this. And I just kept feeling like when I left the theater, I was like, I feel like they're building me up for another sequel where he's going to still be alive. And again, maybe it's because I watched so many of the previous movies like back to back. And I'm like, there's no killing him. And especially not by fire. I want to see him chopped up into pieces where I know he can't come back. Like, so I don't know. For me, it just fell flat to where I was like, I'm not scared of this. I think it's just going to keep going. Um, it wasn't the cathartic experience that me personally, like that I was hoping for. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just me. And those were my dislikes is that I just wanted a little bit more drama. Hello, Michael. I like to play a game. You've spent your life taking <laughs> others. Will you fight to stay alive? Behind you is the stairs barred from access. Near you is Agent Orange. Oh, hurry up. Once it's released. You know how how fucking long that shit takes about movies. (laughs) I know. That's why I'm saying we don't have time for this. We don't have time. We don't have time to set up an entire saw trap to get through this. Okay. I know. I just thought I'd throw it. You gotta move on. 
Yeah, I am. I'm trying. We got to give her scores and her recommendations. So we're going to start this off with with Devin. You know, give us your your uh, recommendation and your score. I give this movie 83 inconsistent kills out of 100. I do recommend you go see it because when it comes to soft reboots of horror classics, it don't get much better than this boy. All right, Justin. <laughs> okay, give me a second, man. <laughs> oh, Devin. Okay. Uh, what, what was I going to say? What am I going to say? Tenacious Tenny, Mr. Tenny. Drink, drink, drink. I don't know which one I want to say. Yes. <clears throat> okay, Tenacious Tenny. Let me give you my score. I'm going to go so much higher than Devin did because I really enjoyed this more. So he gave it 83. I'm going to give it 85 watermelon splitting heads being stomped by Michael Myers out of overall. I did like this movie. I think we talked enough about the sin that it committed with the doctor. But overall, this is a good film. Uh, This film, uh, um, I still believe even after hearing everybody took a lot of risks. Um, And I think most of the time it hit home runs with that. So I definitely recommend this. Um, definitely recommend this to people. If you're a horror movie aficionado, if you're a person who's just a fan of Michael Myers or just a fan of these characters, any of these characters, um, you've got to see this movie. You've got to, if you've seen all the ones up to this point, well, then you got to see this one. You got to complete everything, right? So you've got to see what they did here. And I really do think overall, it is a blueprint on how you can have a reboot movie on how to do it, how to make it enjoyable and add some new things to give it, to make it feel a little more fresh than what you've been given in the past. So thumbs up for me, go see it. Heather, your turn. Yeah. I'm going to go with, um, yeah, I'm going to stick with eight creepy mannequin rooms out of 10. So I'll give it about an 80. Um, I, I did like it. I thought it was very enjoyable. I would say I recommend it for those who are fans of the original, just because um, it's you just want to see the conclusion of it. You know, like you just you'll you'll want to know what happens at the end of this 40 year long journey of Halloween. So I would say I recommend it for that. Or if you're just looking for a movie that it just does the the simple horror movie, that's just good because it's good and doesn't have to go over the top with any particular thing. Um, I would say, yes, go see it. All right. So for me, I did have a lot of problems with this movie, but I'm trying to be fair to this movie because a lot of my problems with this movie also do stem from the fact that I am not a huge fan of the Halloween franchise. Uh, I understand. I understand its purpose. I understand its importance, you know, to all these things. But ultimately, I've just never really big been one of those fans of the Halloween franchises. I've, I've seen better versions of the same type of things in, in other movies, uh, you know, like a Friday the 13th. I think Jason is a, a better version of the same character in a way. Um, but while trying to be fair to this, while still having my problems with this movie, I'm going to give it 70 fuck you for killing podcasters. I take offense to that <laughs> out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> noise um i would recommend seeing this movie especially if you're a fan of the halloween movies if you're a fan of the halloween movies definitely go see it it's going to be the second best one you've ever seen 
It's definitely better than any other version of the Halloween movies with the exception of the first one. So definitely go see it. If you're a fan of horror movies, give it a shot. You're still probably going to like this movie. Um, if you know, you're, you're going to get something out of this. You know, like I said, I have a lot of problems with this movie, but it's still way better than a lot of the other schlocky bullshit slasher films you're going to get. So there is some redeeming qualities in that. So it's definitely worth it, you know, just on that level alone. Um, other than that, we're going to end this part with you, Katie. Hit us with it. I completely agree. I feel like if you um, are like me and you're a big fan of horror movies in general, you you have to see this. Um you can't be like a true horror film fanatic if you are not seeing the newest movie. So definitely go see it. I did have a lot of issues with it, um, but there's also a lot of redeeming quality. So it's, it's more on the positive side than the negative side. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm like rating it really harshly, um, but I like to see horror movies take a little bit more risk than this one did. Um, so just for Devin's benefit, since he wishes there was more nudity, I'm going to give it six and a half sets of titties out of 10. Whoa, wait, hold on. No, no, that, that's not, <laughs> that is not what I'm fucking saying yes, at all. Did. Jesus Christ. You said you <laughs> I was being subversive. I said I would rather have that <laughs> no. than this doctor with a Earlier. pen. I said there was a trade-off. No, but I was making fun of guys. I wasn't. That's no. I don't want. I don't wish there were more titties in this. My on record. I I don't want more titties in this movie. (laughs) See, there you go. You just said it again. I said I don't want more. I don't want more titties in this movie. Like four hours ago, when I said there was no gratuitous sexuality, you had a problem with that. I'm giving you. I didn't say that. I'm giving you. Where are you getting? Oh my god! Yes, you did. I'm giving you six and a half sets of titties. Bullcrap! This is bullshit. (laughs) This is bullshit. (laughs) Fake news. Lieben Press. The thing, the thing I like about that is that equates out to thirteen breasts, <laughs> and that's just funny. That there's one covered up. The last, no, actually, I want to say that there's one less girl, and one of the girls is that three titty chick from Total Recall. Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I now totally accept this as in a completely awesome scoring system, just because we get the alien woman in it. Yes. Um. This is also the first time that somebody has given a movie a worse grade than me. Oh, I don't know how I feel okay. about that. Yay. That's typically my job. Hey, good job. Katie. You've um, been, what is that word? Like not uprooted, but I can't remember the actual word, but. Well, whatever, whatever it is, whatever the next movie, we, whatever, whatever the next movie we watch is, it's getting 10 points lower than I would originally give it just oh, to compensate okay. for it now. Got to make up for it. All right. You you better hope that it's not, you know, it's a super good movie because it might push it from being good to bad. I mean, so way to go, Katie. You might ruin you know, a score for another movie. Life is not a competition. And I feel like you're just trying to compete. <laughs> it's it's my job, though. Feel like my job. That you like to use people's words and make them sound like they're some sex fiends. Oh, my God. You're but thanks for coming that. on the show <laughs> and make me, make me sound like a piece of shit. Appreciate it. Glad we brought you here. He's going to be on that. He's going to be on that till fun. we record another episode. Fun for y'all to get still talk to him about it. I'll be off in a different land where he doesn't talk to me. On that note, we do thank you guys for listening. Check us out on the internets, uh, www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook. You know, like some post comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you thought about the Halloween movie. Let you know if you agree or disagree with any of us. Um, 
And that goes true to any of these movie reviews or any of these podcasts. If you agree, disagree, let us know. Give us on the ground. Um, make sure you subscribe uh, to these podcasts and whatever podcast, you know, listening platform you have. Uh, also check out the merchandise we have on our Threadless shop. There's a link to that on the uh, on the website. I also found out today for any uh, buddy that likes leggings, that leggings just became an option on our store. So I might be adding leggings to our uh, our inventory. I'm going to get up some Hey-o. Cinema Slayers leggings. A pair. Me too. Well, if you get a pair, Devin, you have to take a picture so we can show everybody how nice the leggings are. I will. Look. Yes. That ass will be seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we are going to have some more interactive-like podcasts for you guys. We're still going to do some movie matchups. We've also got some uh, some poll-type uh, podcast topics that we've kind of already put out there for you guys a little bit. So, like, let us know. Like, right now, the current one is, what's the worst movie? We are going to close that down and then do an official poll on it so you guys can vote and that way we will you know do a podcast solely based on one of those movies uh the lovely katie here did mention that a movie she hated uh was grease and that's just flabbergasting controversial <laughs> pit. i can only on express so puzzlement levels. as to why oh, she doesn't like nice. it it's interesting uh, tell me i mean that wasn't the, that wasn't the <laughs> tell me more i'm already annoyed <laughs> by hearing that that wasn't the craziest one for me somebody said they hated fate of the furious and I'm like, how the fuck do you hate any movie that has cars fighting a submarine? I mean, that just <laughs> blows my mind that somebody doesn't appreciate the cinematic gold that was on their screens, you know. Um, but other than that, we do appreciate you guys for listening. I was told by a fan and listener that we need to have like an outgoing slogan on this. And I don't really know what that means. I always thought just saying bye to people was a nice way of closing things out. But apparently it's not. So for the next couple of episodes, I'm going to be trying out different ones. Slippity doop boop, guys. You know, maybe we'll find one. <laughs> Definitely not going with that one. Everyone should sign out with one. All right. So, all right. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll start with you, Devin. What would you say would be a good closing, like little little slogan or saying for us here? This is Devin Williams. I hope I satisfied that sweet tooth. We'll see you next time. Well, what would be one for the podcast, though? Just not you specifically, but for the podcast as a whole. Um, Although, please keep using that. That was great. Um, um, I mean, I could say we could say something like, hey, we here at Cinema Slayers hope that Devin satisfied your sweet tooth. Uh, I don't want to make it all about me. How about how about um, um, we'll see you at the movies? Isn't that the one from Ebert and Roper? I don't fucking know, man. I don't know. I'm just, you put me on the spot here. You made me go fucking first. Leave me alone. That's what I said. Okay, okay, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. We're we're, we're going to do more rounds of this. So that's that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now you know. Next time, come prepared. Justin, what would you do? How about? Well, we're called Cinema Slayers, so something with killing in it just seems, or slaying seems appropriate. So I was thinking something like, I don't know, signing off. We're signing off for Cinema Slayers. Keep killing it at the movies. Keep slaying it at the movies. Something like that. People say killing it, right? Keep killing All it. All of mine were better. You young yes. women have to say <laughs> that, right? Get your old so, yeah. ass off this podcast, Jasper. This is Jasper Taylor saying. Don't they say that, right? They still say that. They say that on the twatter, right? They say that Don't on the twatter, twatter, right? Don't say that. Also, <laughs> no, I think they more say slay instead of killing it. Don't they? Yeah. yeah, you old yeah. man. All right, Heather, what would you say? They say Although that. I can't 
I can't complain too much because literally that was the one I was going to use. Oh, Keep killing man. it at the movies. So that's all I got for you. But you made fun of me anyway. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was your comment after where you're like, that's what people say, right? <laughs> Jess is the oldest person on this podcast. Katie, what would you, what would you suggest for a possible one? I'm, I'm going to open this up to you. Um, what would you say? Probably my, my life slogan that I tell people every day. I say, watch good movies and don't be an asshole. I like, nice. Nice. I I that. like that Not one. Bad. Watch good movies and don't be an asshole. That's, a, that's just a good life motto. So for me... Wisdom. Yes. <laughs> so we will actually sign off on mine just because I'm the last one to go on this. Um, I'm going to say... You know, thanks for listening to Cinema Slayers. And remember, a good EQ makes you not sound tinny. 